It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 140. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. How's it going, Gary? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Can't What's complain. the weather like right now in, in, in your neck of the woods? It's still like hot and smoky. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we had a few days of, of warm and smoky to the extent where um, uh, one of the organizations I volunteered for ended up setting up a pet cooling shelter. It was warm enough. And yes, very smoky. We've, we're definitely getting uh, uh, some of the smoke from fires in eastern Washington. But today, last night, it was like drizzly and, and cloudy and, and uh, normal <laughs> for us. So All right. Well, good. Sure. Maybe put out some of those fires. In Happy the air. Exactly. Yeah. Over it's here. kind of unfortunate. I wish that the rain really would head out to uh, um, Eastern Washington more heavily. Uh, where I really want it to hit is where you are. Actually, the other side of the mountains from where you are, because the yeah. uh, the Colorado River got the uh, um, announcement that they were they were going to implement downstream restrictions because there just wasn't enough water in the river, which is yep. kind of it's our water, but the other scary. states want it. Exactly. <laughs> um, build a dam. Well, you know, it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, uh, this is kind of tech, interesting tech stuff. It's like Denver's, I don't know if it's the only place, but it may be the only place. Uh, we get a lot of our water from the other side of the Continental Divide. Right. You know, there's Lake Dillon, which is on the other side of the Continental Divide. You see it when you come out of the Eisenhower Tunnel. And there's a pipe that goes through the mountains and takes that rainwater that's falling on the west side going into Dillon Reservoir that should then be going into the Colorado River system and flowing west. But instead, we're piping it east and have been doing so for a long time. So in so a way, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is, you know, it's just one of these, it's one of these weird things. It's like we complain as much as we want about like the Colorado River water going to, you know, Utah and Arizona and California and Nevada. But, uh, but in fact, you know, Denver steals the west coasts rain first before anybody can get their hands on it before it even goes into a river um good move but, uh that's uh the craziness that is the the water system of the western united states no kidding so what's new i hear you got a new toy yeah yeah so um got a new toy and then you mentioned that you have a similar toy got a mm -hmm. smart bed so uh it's of the sleep number brand um, and it, you know, it's, it, it didn't really even occur to me. To, I was getting a smart bed at first because main priority was the bed was old, right? Time for a new bed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, let's, let's, you know what, let's spend some serious money on this, this one, right? Let's get it right. What's the best bed out there and did some research, um, tried to figure out what we wanted. And there were lots of bells and whistles and things like that and decided that we wanted, we wanted to really, this was going to be a big like splurge for us. Let's get a bed. Let's get it. So it, it could do all the cool things that beds can do today, including, uh, raising and lowering the head and the, you know, it's adjustable, you know, in terms of like, you could raise your head. So you could watch TV in it, or, you know, raise your feet for better circulation, that kind of thing. And it does all the features of like figuring out if you're sleeping or not, or things like that. And of course you can change the hardness softness as well. So we got it, but you know, it was just kind of like, we're going to do that. And then we got it. Now all of a sudden it was like, oh, I, there's an app and the app has all the stuff and it hooks into the Apple health app system and my Apple watch. And there's a nightly report I get <laughs> about how well I slept. And there's all these adjustable controls. There's even a light 
that comes on that's underneath the bed. When you get out of bed in the middle of the night, the light under the bed comes on and illuminates the floor and will then automatically go off when you get back into bed. Uh, so a lot of cool tech in there, but it didn't really even occur to me that it was like I was going super high tech with the bed. My previous bed had actually absolutely no tech functions whatsoever. You didn't plug it into the wall, didn't have an app, nothing. So, uh, so we got this bed and I was like, wow, uh, this is actually a new tech gadget, isn't it? I didn't even plan on buying a new tech gadget. Uh, and I've mixed feelings after using it for a week on the technology. What what uh, what type of smart bed do you have? I believe from everything you've described, it's the exact same model. <laughs> um, it's 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 uh, and it's each side is adjustable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yep, that's um, that's very interesting. It also gets real interesting when um, you find that your dog is you know nice and comfortable in that space in between. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want them to fall through. Um, yeah, no, we've had we've had that same bed uh, probably for a year now. So I'm very oh, interested in your your reactions to what you uh, what you've um, what you've got yourself into. Well, I you know the first thing, of course, is you know the name of the bed. You know, sleep number. You're supposed to get your number and all that stuff. And I really I didn't have any problems in this area before. You know, I I go camping. I sleep on like a mat. You know, on the ground. And uh, whenever I go to hotels, it doesn't matter. Uh, what the bed is like. I kind of sleep like a rock no matter what. So I was kind of like, uh, whatever, <laughs> you know, put it in the middle. That's probably fine. And it doesn't bother me. My wife, of course, she's getting much more into the, like the finding her perfect little, mm -hmm. you know, amount. I was more interested in the, in the head and foot raising lowering thing, because I found years ago that I enjoy having my head elevated a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, which means some pillows, uh, but it works much better when it's actually like a real elevation, not like kinking your neck up in a weird position, but your shoulder is up the appropriate amount and all that. So I'm in quite enjoying, you know, turning the, you know, having the head at a slight elevation when I go to sleep, mm -hmm. but also the idea that, you know, you could put it up quite a bit and then watch TV in bed, something that we haven't really, we don't really do. Right. We have a nice TV in the bedroom and you know, sometimes we think, boy, we've gone weeks without even turning it on. I mean, maybe I will turn it on if it's like the ninth inning of a baseball game and I want to go upstairs and like mm -hmm. brush my teeth and get ready and I'll turn on the TV and that's it. Uh, and we thought, you know, it actually would be good to use it because sometimes, you know, you're binge watching something, you're at the end of something and it's like you end up spending too much time downstairs in the living room, <laughs> you know, and, you, and then you're like tired as hell, you finish, you know, finish with the show. And then you go upstairs and then by the time you get ready for bed, you're awake again. And it would be nice to say, Hey, let's watch the last half hour or the last right. episode of this in right. bed. And then when it's over, turn off the TV, turn out the lights, go to sleep. Uh, makes a little more sense. So I'm looking forward to using that more. We've only done that once so far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably got to get more into the habit of it. Uh, my wife likes to read in bed, which previously meant a whole bunch of pillows behind her. So she right. could sit up a little bit and now she doesn't have to do that, but just a regular pillow behind her. She could raise the bed, read with decent posture for, you know, holding up big mm -hmm. hardback book or whatever, mm -hmm. and then lower it at night. Um, the smart stuff, the, the reports that you get, uh, I found them to be hit and miss more miss than hit. <laughs> uh, Given the data that they have to work with, I've always yeah. been kind of interested into how accurate it really, really was. Oh, I don't think it's, I I've, 
it, it seems to not, it, it really has a hard time figuring out when you're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fall asleep rather fast mm-hmm. and I'm, and I have a very accurate way of measuring how fast I fall asleep because I listen to audiobooks. So I will do something like put the Audible app on a 15-minute timer, put the AirPods in my ears. And if I wake up at some point during the middle of the night and the AirPods are still in my ears, I know I I know that I fell asleep within 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Because if I get to the end of the 15 minutes, I'll take them out, put them on the nightstand, and then usually I fall right asleep. Mm-hmm. So I know that I'm asleep pretty quick. The um, and sometimes I can actually go try to listen to the book and figure out where it was I left off and find out exactly, you know, it's like oh, it only took six minutes for me to fall asleep or whatever. Um, and this thing tends to sometimes think that it took me an hour or an hour and a half, typically the first bathroom visit of the night, um, and then thinks that's when I went to sleep. I'm like, well, that's not accurate. I mean, maybe it was a restless sleep, but I was definitely out. Uh, so so I'm getting to the point now where it's like, well, it's interesting, but if it's going to be wrong more than half the time, right. I'm not that interested in the data anymore. You know, I'm not going to turn it off, but and to like, be clear, my understanding is the only sensor that mm-hmm. they have to go by um, is the pressure sensor in the mattress. Well, um, there's a heartbeat sensor, but I've got a I've got a heartbeat sensor, or at least it says. I right, but what's it using to sense that? I, I guess I don't know exactly. I mean, yeah, I, we, I, I have no really idea. Have no idea where that comes from. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, when you think about also what they uh, hook up when they mm-hmm. install the thing, um, there's a hose. Yeah, and that's it. Right, it's the air pressure hose. So my understanding is that that's really all they have to work with. Now they can certainly have some really super sensitive sensors in there. I get that. Um, but I've always been very skeptical about their ability to um, uh, measure that stuff. Now, while you were saying that, um, I brought up my um, my sleep session yeah. for last night on yeah. my phone. Um, by the way, for those that don't know, a sleep number, it's essentially a high-end air mattress is what it boils yeah. down to. Um, and one of the reasons that it is lucrative, uh, we've had sleep numbers, Kathy and I have had sleep numbers for, gosh, I want to say at least 20, 25 years. Uh, We had them since way back when. So this is actually the second one in our master bedroom. Um, And um, they can, you know, not only are they adjustable, but they're actually quite comfortable. Even the the ones that don't have all the fancy head up, foot up adjustments and all this other smartness. Um, But I'm looking at my sleep session from last night and it's actually pretty, pretty close. Um, It's got when I've gone to bed, accurate. It's gotten when I've gotten up accurate, but it's also gotten, um, you know, the trips out of bed fairly accurate as well. So I, uh, um, okay. Time to fall asleep. No, no, it didn't. It took me a lot less than 20, (laughs) took me a lot less than 27 minutes. Yes. Yeah. So, Um, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'll see uh, over the long run. Uh, It does give you a reading each night. Do you, do you do a little bit of reading in bed? I, I, it's all, um, you know, the AirPods in my ears listening to audio. It just, it just dawned on me. I do, right? I'll spend yeah. 15, 20 minutes. And you know what? If you take the 15 minutes, add on a real 10 minutes to fall asleep, then that 27 minutes that it's recording, reporting as the time to fall asleep is actually not that, not that inaccurate. All my, it does my, is it sees me get into bed. It doesn't realize that I'm reading. Yeah, well, of course. And uh, actually, so the, 
thing was after two nights and you know seeing those numbers and then triggering the kind of gamer mentality that I've got, right? I've got these numbers. So the first night was like 70 something. And the next night I, I cracked 80. So I'm like, oh, I need a better score. So <laughs> like the third, yeah. <laughs> the third night, I found myself doing this weird thing where I wouldn't get into bed till the last minute. I was like, what else do I need to do? Let me get the, uh, the, uh, you know, AirPods in my ears, start the audio book. You know, it's like everything, because the minute I get to bed, it's counting down how, how long it takes me to get to sleep. And I want to like, you know, minimize that time. If I get into bed and then realize, oh, I need to check something on my phone. Where are my AirPods? Let me see where I am on my audio book. You know, that's all wasted time. <laughs> and I need a high score. So, um, but you know, that lasted like two nights and I was like, ah, I don't care anymore. Uh, it does give biometrics, you know, that's so the biometrics I, I'm getting here, heart rate. Mm-hmm beats per minute, mm-hmm. something called a heart rate variability, which it doesn't seem to very much like mine. It thinks mine is too low. Um, and breathing rate, breaths per minute. Hmm. So it seems to think that's okay. Uh, but uh, so it's getting... I'm not seeing I, I, I a, a variability in my Yeah, I don't know. Uh, see, I think mine is like the eight, the I I. QAI something eight. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember now. And you think it would say here in the app. Um, uh, typical, uh, typical of me. I can't remember what the model is. I could tell you exactly what the price was because, <laughs> of course, that was the, because the pain it's memorable. point. Yes. Yeah. That <laughs> was like, that was the thing that hurt the model number. I don't know. I it's funny because, so I've said we've, we've been on these beds um, for yeah. at least 20 years. So, having one and having it kind of sort of wear out over, over literally 20 years, but it was in relatively good shape um, when we finally decided to upgrade. Uh, it was very easy for us to spend the money because we knew what we were getting. We knew what we were getting into um, and we're very, very happy with the quality of our sleep and the comfort of the bed. The, um, uh, you know, the extra features. Yeah, they're nice. Um, what you didn't mention, and I think probably brings it a little bit more on topic for this show Um is it's another internet of things thing. Yes, right? that is true. It's hooked up to, I don't know exactly what's doing with Wi-Fi, but it did need to be hooked up to Wi-Fi. I know my phone is talking to it over Bluetooth. Or and Wi-Fi. We, or Mine will switch it, depending on how far away from the bed I am. Interesting. I um, We did get the remotes right. too, which are extremely big, bulky remotes. But yeah, you know, the thinking was, first of all, seeing how big that number was. And it's like, I'm not going to spend 30 bucks for another you know, a remote. <laughs> I was like, give me the remote. But the uh, also it was like in the middle of the night, I don't be messing around with apps, you right. know, uh, yep. to try to figure it out. Uh, so, you know, we each got a remote on each side of the bed to make it easier. Um, but uh, oh, the other feature before we get talked more about Internet of Things, mm-hmm. there's a there's another feature that um, that supposedly my wife uses uh, called a stop snoring feature or something like that in there that she can press. And, um, well, all I know is I start with my, the head of my bed slightly elevated. It's pretty damn <laughs> elevated by the time I wake up in the morning. <laughs> yes. The stop storing feature raises your partner's head. <laughs> yes. So, so I can tell in the morning how much snoring I was doing by like how high, how high, you know, the, how high that my head is. And, uh, uh unfortunately yeah. I can still only tell by the bruises on my side. But, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, she says it works pretty well. Not as well as she said the first night it was perfect. Uh, but she's, you know, and maybe I'm getting more used to it, but uh, 
she says it works. Uh, it does work. So that's kind of worth it. Um, and I am, I'm still going to work on like, you know, adjusting the numbers. I mean, sure. I get, I get a good night's sleep no matter what, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll find a more ideal setting. Might as well play around with it. Um, and I do plan on maybe using it. I, we did test it out with laptops. I was like, all right, if we set it all the way up, so, you know, we're sitting basically, oh, uh-huh. now how comfortable is it to work with a laptop? And it was like, hmm, this actually feels pretty comfortable. Um, and now it's the point of like years and years of, I've never done that because it's super uncomfortable to use laptop in bed. Now I have to like, I guess things will come up. There'll be times when I'm like, well, actually the, the main thing I could see using my laptop in bed is if I've been out for a significant portion of the day, the kind of day where you're doing something a lot of the day and you end up coming home at night and going right to bed, you know, not super late. And I need to catch up on a few things before I go to sleep. Right. That's exactly when I would do it. Now I've trained myself never to do that Right. because, you know, but now I can't. So looking for the first opportunity to use that. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's funny. You were saying earlier that you, you like the head of your bed elevated. That's actually one of the things yeah. that drew us to this model because on the previous model, which was not as fancy, it was just a straight King with, um, yeah. with the two, uh, um, bladders, they call them the air, the airbags. Um, I'd actually built a frame, uh, to put the bed on top of that uh-huh. raised the head by about six inches. Um, it actually makes a fair amount of difference in terms of snoring for one thing, but just, you know, breathing comfort in general. So now whenever I go to, um, a hotel or stay somewhere else, it's not the hardness of the bed. I notice it's the fact that the bed is flat. Yeah. And because I'm used to my head being somewhat elevated. Now, mm-hmm. when it's flat, it kind of feels like it's below my feet, even though it's not, if you know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're used to a certain yep. level and, and all that. So, so, I, so I, I wonder what it's needing an internet connection for, because yeah. Uh, I can't necessarily think of anything. I mean, I'm, I assume that they're not doing random firmware updates in the pump. Um, <laughs> theoretically, they could, right? Could be. I mean, who knows? Um, they could. Heck, they probably are collecting sleep data. Um, I did not read the terms of service in excruciatingly excruciating detail, uh, mm. but that's one of the things that I kind of assume for internet-connected devices like that. I don't care. Um, but in terms of actual bed functionality, even with the, uh, the remote controls or even using your phone as a remote control, technically an internet connection isn't required. Uh, so I'm yeah. not really sure what all they're doing with that. One thing it does expose though, is in theory, uh, if your, if your internet ever gets hacked, uh, somebody could, um, I guess, stop you from snoring in the middle of the night. Who's not your wife. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It could be a, a, uh, a very interesting ransomware attack. So on your bed, for some reason, this reminds me of the episode of um, big bang theory where the guys are all excited because they turn on a light and turn on and off a light in China. Yeah. And then there's a, you know, a group of folks in China that are all excited because they're turning on and off the light in uh, in the uh, uh, Sheldon's apartment. Yeah. Uh, same kind of thing here, right? I mean, for all we know, there could be some Russian hacker who's 
as as he's listening to this, is all excited now about going out and getting uh, uh, both our beds to start doing things in the middle of the night. Well, first, let me say thank you for listening. <laughs> we we're not picky. We we, you know, we need listeners. Um, be sure to uh, subscribe <laughs> and subscribe. leave a review on iTunes. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the funny thing is, you, you would think, okay, a ransomware attack on a bed that all all you could probably do is change the softness, hardness, and like raise and lower it, like. What's the damage? But these things are so expensive that probably some people would pay like a ransom to actually get control back. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, my expensive bed isn't working anymore. Well, for one Bitcoin, it would work again. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be possible, I guess. I mean, certainly um, there are uh, ransomware has been in the news a lot. Right. So one of the things that the reason this caught my eye um, the, the ransomware as, aspect of this, uh, when you brought up the new bed, mm. is that um, this week's uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, yeah, uh, we'll have a link to a segment of it in the show notes that went on to talk about ransomware. Now, I do have to throw out a big caveat. If you're not familiar with John Oliver and last week tonight, mm. um, one, he's a, a humorist, a comedian, um, very, very heavy on satire. And uh, it's on HBO normally here in the United States, but it is completely uncensored and absolutely not safe for work. There will be language that you, know, you don't want the kids to be listening to. That being said, um, he does cover news topics uh, in a very accessible and interesting way. And I was really, really curious when I saw that he was going to be talking about ransomware, exactly what his take on it was going to be. Um, he did a very good job of talking about ransomware without without actually even talking about encryption, which I thought was um, a nice way of yeah. making it a little bit more palatable for the average user. Because, of course, the average consumer is going to tune out as soon as they hear the word encryption, right? Um, right. Even though that's the mechanics of it all, um, the it's the effects that really matter the most. Um, right. Well, the uh, I mean, the piece took the direction of going uh, political at the end as like the U.S. government's response right. to ransomware, right. rather than going technical. Um, so, yeah, which is it, you know, t- t- if it's with the show, it absolutely yes, absolutely yeah. That's its other segments are often very, very biting, targeted, political. Um, in some cases, satire, but very, very uh, almost expose style pieces. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he did end up talking about at one point the internet of things uh, and how people have more and more devices connected to the internet. He, uh, the, the graphics showed an oven and a um, various, let's just say various other, other internet of things devices, but they they fall into two categories for me yeah. because he was starting to, he started to conflate a little bit um, the, the, the possibility of having your, IOT devices hacked with ransomware. And as of now, those are still currently two different things. There isn't necessarily a good way to present a ransomware attack on an IOT device. Uh, It it would have to be a a multi-pronged kind of attack. The interesting thing though, is that there are some devices like refrigerators and ovens where yeah, you can connect it to the internet. I'm not as as geeky as a guy I am. That's not a feature I look for in my refrigerators and my ovens. 
And in yeah. fact, uh, I don't even have my smart TV connected to the internet uh, because I've got my devices, my Roku and my, mm-hmm. you know, my um, Google uh, Chromecast connected to the internet. So the TV itself doesn't need to be. Um, but when you think about it, you know, a hacker's not going to do that much to a um, uh, uh, an oven, I suppose, depending on what kind of features were exposed. Maybe they could turn the oven on to broil and let it sit there for a couple of days. Um, they could certainly uh, turn off your fridge or set the temperature to be so high that everything would start to melt or spoil. But these are slow attacks, right? That- they're slow and very. I mean, they're when you attack an individual like that, and you have a, you know, the ransom itself has to be cheaper than the cost of the device right. and installing a new one, you know, because you can't just go and say, oh wait, I'll just get a new, you know, a new one, some come, somebody to come and install it. And that's at a very different level than stuff like the Colonial Pipeline, you know, where it's millions of dollars, where you have one ransomware attack that's millions of dollars. Right. Um, and another one that's like, well, in order to make money off of these, we need to do a thousand such attacks on a thousand different individuals right. you know, over the next month. Um, so I'm not really sure. He used a very old example of an individual getting a ransomware attack on their computer. Yes. In fact, um, if I remember right, the date he mentioned was like 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, if, if somebody wanted to go after individuals' computers, um, it, it would be burning a small amount of money per, you know, uh, attempt and, and while taking a risk doing so, whereas going after like a corporation or a hospital or something like that um, is a much, uh, you know, more profitable thing. You, you only need to be successful in one of those right. and you could retire. Um, and, he, you know, I like the fact, um, there's stuff I like about John Oliver and stuff I don't, but I do like the fact that he did mention that uh, we don't really know the percentage of successful ransomware attacks on, on a big scale like that because right. we suspect that there are a lot of unreported ones. Well, there's a so, big incentive not to report it. Right? Sure. Yeah, um, you just get, get away with it. Bad publicity or yeah. lawsuits or, or lawsuits, stock so prices or any of that. Or, kind of or stuff. losing your job, maybe if you're able to figure out how to, you know, not, yep. you know, pay pay a few Bitcoin, get away with it, and you're okay. Um, so there's that. So we don't really know how successful it is, uh, but you know, I, I I think it is two different kinds of things. The smaller attacks uh, that have to be done many many times over, and the large attacks that probably involve more than one. Uh, malicious hacker. So, so let, let's first let's separate out the IoT stuff from the ransomware stuff because yeah. I don't foresee there being a lot of value in holding IoT devices for ransom unless um, it's a mass attack. So, like all right. of a sudden, all sleep number beds everywhere right are being held for ransom and it's the sleep number corporation that is has to pony over the money yeah that would yeah right exactly that would make some more amount of sense but honestly as an individual i do not worry about my internet of things things being hacked i don't really worry about them being um compromised so to speak or behaving in ways that are unexpected with one exception um and that exception of course is those scenarios that we've heard of where iot devices get turned into botnets or bots that are operating in botnets or crypto miners. Um, They're not necessarily affecting me directly in the sense that the device continues to work because that's part of what keeps it from being discovered as quickly, but they are affecting me, of course, in that they're using my 
um, you know, my electricity, I guess, my processing power, and of course, my internet connection. But again, those aren't things that I, I have a really a whole lot of concern about. However, when it comes to ransomware, I continue to be on guard, and I think everybody must continue to be on guard. Granted, it is just malware, and you want to make sure that you don't let any kind of malware on your machine. But of course, ransomware has this uh, particularly dramatic impact, dramatic and immediate impact. Mm. Um, so it, it's one of those things where uh, while we may not be targeted as individuals like a corporation might be, I think that we are all still very much at the risk of being collateral damage. Let me explain what I mean. I, I, I believe that hackers that are, are, are doing ransomware, are promoting ransomware, they probably fall into two buckets. Those that have specific targets in mind. They get up in the morning and they say, today I'm gonna go and attack this hospital or this pipeline, or this class of business because they're all evil capitalists. And they craft um, a malware distribution campaign, usually through phishing, that uh, is targeted to land in the inboxes of people at or somehow associated with those organizations. And of course, one person falls for it and hilarity ensues. The other class though, I think is a more general purpose one where somebody he doesn't really have a target in mind. He's just setting his, his ransomware creation um, loose into the world to see what it turns up. And of course, it's going to end up in all sorts of different mailboxes. And the mailboxes that are going to make the news are the folks in corporations that happen to fall for it. They weren't targeted. They just happen to be in a really lucrative corporation when they happen to fall for the, the phishing attempt or whatever caused their machine to, to uh, uh, you know, succumb to ransomware. But these mails are still going out everywhere, right? The attempt is still going out to everybody, individuals and corporations alike. And that's one of the things that I think concerns me the most about ransomware. Corporations, they have a responsibility and theoretically they should have the ability to do a better job of protecting themselves. If they don't, they should, they should know about this by now, but individuals, I think as much as you and I and everybody like us can preach, there's always going to be a slip up or, or an overlooked thing or um, uh, you know, something that is just too lucrative not to click on. And that's the scary one. That's where ransomware continues to really concern me at the individual level. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's um, you can't, uh, obviously big systems for companies cannot rely on simply nobody gets a, a, a way in. Like there's no password in, you know, they have, you have to have a robust system. Um, it's hard to go into details without thinking what it is. If it's a banking system, there has to be like if one teller's ID and password are stolen, it can't bring the whole thing to its knees. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's got to be like a limited sandboxed damage. You know, this teller only had this amount of control, or there were certain things that were flagged as suspicious. You know, things like that, and every part of the system has to be looked at, even all the way to the top. If the CEO logs into their account, you know, the CEO of a pipeline shouldn't be going over and switching on and off pumps. 
<laughs> you know, we need if, to talk about the pumps in a minute, but keep. Well, going. yeah, actually, I wanted to too because John Oliver missed an interesting point yes. about the Colonial Pipeline ransomware thing. Um, he did he did briefly mention the fact that a lot of ransomware has to do with not just unlocking the system, unlocking the data, but actually making the data public. The Colonial Ransomware attack he made it almost sound like the the ransomware had shut it down and it in fact did not right they shut it down themselves as a precaution and um and there's a big difference um as a so, precaution for what though because i i, I i've heard yeah. at least one story about this go ahead well no yeah i i, I don't know what the precautions for but in some cases it's you know you if you say, okay, I'm just going to have a really good backup. And let's say a corporation goes and says, we are going to have nightly backups of the entire system. And if there's a ransomware attack, we could actually hit a button. Everybody will be down for about 15 minutes and everything restores to what it was last night. And we're good. And we can laugh at ransomware attacks, except that sometimes the ransomware is, oh yeah, we don't really care about that. We just have all of your data and right. we'll publish it if you don't pay the ransom. So it's not even... It's not even that technical anymore. It's just, the, you know, you, they broke in, they got the data. They didn't even have to install anything. They didn't have to encrypt anything. They didn't have to lock anything out. There could be absolutely no damage done whatsoever. And it's just like, we're holding your data ransom. So in a way, it, you know, you have to protect against that as well. And Oliver did not cover that as deeply as I was hoping he would, yeah, because yeah. that's that's a newer form of what's happening. Um, and the ransom is no longer to decrypt your files, but the, the ransomware is to get a promise that we won't share your data. Yeah. I, you know, and I think for individuals, I mean, there's, again, there, you have to divide individuals and corporations. I think for individuals a lot, uh, there's not as much danger. Um, you know, we have to be protective over our data, but a lot of people also are under the false, uh, assumption that some of their data is completely private, like social security numbers and credit card numbers and things like that, that it's not, it's not that hard to get that stuff. Right. Like you don't have to do with some sort of advanced ransomware attack. I'm pretty sure a decent, but uh, unethical private investigator can probably get anybody's social security number. Um, and I mean, even, uh, you know, credit card numbers. I mean, we, one of our credit cards right now is canceled and we're awaiting a new one because oh, there really? was an, a charge, you know, just typical, you know, the bank calls up and says, did you make this charge? No. Nope. Okay. We're canceling your card and sending a new one. I mean, so this stuff happens all the time. You don't need to pull off a sophisticated ransomware attack for that. But if say you had your credit card numbers on your computer, let's say you had your bank statements on your computer. Uh, let's say, you know, you've got your tax returns on your computer. Um, and the ransom simply was, we'll make that public unless you pay us. It's like, well, hey, bank account numbers could be changed like that. Credit card numbers, credit cards canceled, new ones sent out, free of charge mm -hmm. immediately. Uh, your social security number is not that private as you think. Uh, even things like tax returns, it's like, who, who cares? It's nice to have those private. We should all have ours private, but you know, why are you going to pay a ransom if because somebody says they're going to publish them? Like somebody's going to care? Like it's going to be on CNN? John Doe's, uh, you know, 10, 1099s or or whatever, their 1040s are now on this site. You know, nobody cares. Um, so the thing is, is that for individuals, it's hard to make that um, to make that like you know, oh, we'll publish this to make it public if you don't pay. Um, but for corporations. 
uh, they can deal. take more precautions. They yep. well, they care, but they if they if they care, they need to take precautions. So, for instance, somebody could say, "We'll publish all this data," and the corporation says, "Go ahead, because you don't have what you think you have. <laughs> like you've got maybe you know encrypted stuff, or maybe you've got uh, you know honeypot." Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you got our honeypot. You've got, or maybe you've got, you've got our corporate tax returns. Well, guess who else has them? The public, because we're a publicly traded company. You know things like that. Um, I, we we have a friend actually. Uh, uh, there's a movement called uh, Open Book um, Accounting, right? Where a lot of your data, that a lot of corporations hold very private and dear, is actually just open up to all the employees in the company, mm-hmm. so that the employees feel that. There, there is a, a us and them kind of thing going on. Like if, you know, the boss says, oh, we've got to buckle down or I can't give raises this year. Everyone's like, we know <laughs> we could see, you know, in these files that you've made available to us that, you know, we're not performing really well and it, it gets employees invested in things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm not a security like professional. I'm a I'm kind of security professional adjacent um, in terms of what I do. <laughs> but um, I would imagine that there's a good strategy for large corporations to take to defend themselves against that kind of ransomware attack. I think the 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 more interesting scenario that a corporate, I mean, corporations do have private data that should be kept private. Um, most specifically, whenever you've got um, data on customers, right? yeah. they're entrusting you with that data. The scenarios that um, uh, you know we hear about occasionally are law firms getting um, getting compromised. Oh, good point. And, yeah. and having you know their client information. The fact that these people are their clients is not a big deal. The fact that these people are their clients, and by the way, here's all their personal identifiable information mm-hmm. and all the lawsuits that they're involved in, and all the discovery that's been done, and all the other stuff. You get the idea, right? That there's a bunch of stuff that you don't want in any way, shape, or form to be made even the smallest bit public. That's a good so, point. I wasn't thinking about law firms. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely scenarios where um, that's a bad thing, and the same thing kind of sort of holds true in the corporate world. You know, when your data becomes public, all of a sudden it becomes public to your competitors as well, and that's something that I think a lot of corporations would, um, well, honestly, probably think it's pretty darn valuable to keep private to to the corporation, which wow. is why a lot of this ransomware stuff kind of works. I wanted to circle back real quick to to Colonial Pipeline because. Um, uh, Oliver missed an opportunity to actually have some fun with it because, as it turns out, um, the ransomware, the the systems affected by the ransomware, had nothing to do with the pipeline. Uh, mm-hmm. There was nothing touched by the ransomware that had anything to do with physical management of the pipeline. Uh, I believe it was their accounting systems that got taken over. Mm. What that meant, though, is that they were in a position where if they continued to uh, move oil through the pipeline, they were unable to track it. Mm. And because they were unable to track it, they were unable to bill for it. So because they were unable to bill for it, they're not giving oil away for free. That's why they shut down their pipeline. Interesting. I didn't, I I did not know that. They, 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 it was, a, it was a decision to shut down the pipeline, not um, a, a true, a direct side effect of the ransomware, uh, which I just find fascinating. And um, somebody like um, Oliver would probably jump on that. Um, I was surprised that he didn't at any rate. 
Hmm. Um, uh, so, and of course, as we know, um, you know, a lot of the shortages had nothing to do with the pipeline because they weren't people who were getting their oil from the pipeline and so forth. I think exactly. Talked, yeah. I think we talked about that before. Yep. So, um, so yeah, back to bed. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not worried about anything ransomware related to my internet of things including my bed. Um, I am worried about uh, ransomware in general, and I think most people need to be. Um, So help me, one of the questions that I do get from time to time is just, um, you know, is this also an issue on the Mac? And my assumption is that it is just not as big a one. Yeah, I really haven't heard of uh, much. I, I I won't make the assumption that there's no ransomware on the Mac. I'm sure that you could go somewhere, download something you shouldn't, and and uh, give permission for that something you shouldn't to be installed, right. and end up with ransomware. I'm sure it's out there. I haven't I haven't personally heard of anything. Um, so yeah, it's it certainly just as possible. I mean, if you want to, you know, think about this. You know, you can install software on your Mac. It actually even comes with it to encrypt everything. And, you know, with an encryption password, you know. So there's nothing to stop you from actually installing encryption software. And that just doesn't happen to tell you what the password is. Uh, You know, I mean, if you're going to get, you know, if you're going to get permission for your computer to do something, it's going to do it no matter what, which means malware can never fully go away. Um, as long as people uh, can be fooled by it and anybody can, I would argue, can be fooled by it, which is, you know, you always got to be on guard to minimize your chances, but you can never bring them to zero. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, personally, the, the, one of the things I do to deal with it is I, uh, the thing, the same thing you do to deal with any disaster, you envision what would happen if. Mm-hmm. Right. You probably, if you live in an area where it floods, you probably sit and think, what would happen if we got flooded? Oh, maybe I should move the photo albums out of the basement, put them in the attic, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, take precautions. Uh, so, you know, I think about what would happen if, and just make sure that it's like, you know, the answer is never uh, pay somebody a ransom. The answer is always, well, I probably going to have to work a little bit harder that week to get back to where I was but I won't have to pay anybody a ransom. You know, right. you know what I mean? It's like, yep. you, you think about what would happen if my hard drive failed? Okay, what, what, what steps would I have to go through? What would happen if my Mac or, you know, your PC failed? What would I have to do? It's always good to have a plan. And what would I do if, uh, you know, and any kind of thing <laughs> went wrong, right? My screen, my display, you know, what do I know? what I would order, where I would order it from, how quickly I can get a new display in here. So I'm not without one for a very long time. And then you think about what would happen if so all of a sudden my screen went blank and there was a ransomware demand on it, um, you know, and, and I have a you know, plan. Like everybody should have a plan for every kind of disaster. What I find interesting is that every kind of disaster, there tends to be a fair amount of overlap in what those plans look like. Oh, sure. Oh, By definitely. that, I mean the same kind of things you would do to prepare for one disaster help you with 99% of another. Right. Yes. So you generally only have to, um, you know, uh, extend it by a little bit to cover some of the, the more obscure uh, scenarios. Actually, I mean, this is kind of related to Internet of Things, and also the disaster plan. I our internet went out on Saturday night, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought it was just going to be a phone call to the internet service provider to say, "Hey, our internet's out." 
which made me think of like, what are our, you know, uh, I do have a backup plan. You know, we can get, uh, I can get my email and some stuff through mm-hmm. my phone and all that. Turns out it wasn't my internet service provider. It was, it was one of my things. It was my Google uh, Nest Wi-Fi system. No idea what happened. It just stopped working. And every single thing I did to get it back failed. Could not get into it. Fascinating. It was very fascinating. I could not figure out what was wrong with it. And I basically, after about an hour or so, you know, trying things that I had already thought of in advance Mm -hmm. to like, what do I do to troubleshoot if this happens? um, Ended up with two options. The last one being call support, right? Actually three options, right? The last one would have been just buy uh, something new and wait for it to arrive. But uh, the one before that call support, which I don't even know if there is such a thing. And the one before that is a full reset, which I did. Um, So I did a full reset and it worked, but it meant I had to reconfigure everything from scratch. Right. So uh, I, I had already thought of that scenario in the past. And I had things like what numbers I need to put in in certain parts of the settings. Oh, right. Uh, down, I had I knew where to find them. I knew they had a special, you know, static IP, subnet mask, router IP address. I have one port forwarding thing. You know, I have these various things. I had them all down. So when I actually did the reset, I found out that the router came back to life after a reset. Oh, it was about five minutes to just go through all those things, set everything mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And I was back in business. Um, so there was, I was using exactly what it is we're talking about. Pre, preset plans. I wasn't sitting there saying, I don't know what to do. I was like, I know exactly what to do. It's, it's interesting because you may, you reminded me, I'm, in fact, I just now started my uh, um, Unify controller. I've got a Ubiquity network, yeah. wireless network here. Yeah. And uh, it's actually... Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, it scales to enterprise level stuff, which means there's a lot going on in the controller and all these devices. Very happy with them. Love the setup. Uh, Not cheap, but given what I do for a living, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Anyway, Mm. one of the things they allow me to do is export the settings. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I should just do from time to time. So I'm in the process of doing it right now as we speak. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this was, uh, I mean, this was a happy ending, except now I'm extremely suspicious of the router. Of course. It failed once. Um, But I also, another backup thing I had is um, it replaced an Apple Airport Extreme that Mm -hmm. was functioning 100% when I replaced it. It just didn't reach some of the corners of my house. If I remember right, it was a coverage issue that you ran into. yeah. Yeah. That Airport Extreme sitting right there in the closet, I know exactly where it is. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I haven't touched the settings. So one of the other things I could have done was simply plug that in. I also uh, I also knew that the modem that comes from my DSL company mm-hmm. has Wi-Fi in it right. that I just have disabled. So one of the first things I did at the beginning of all this is I went into that using an Ethernet cable, mm-hmm. enabled the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, say I had to, you know, give it a, I, I don't remember what the password was. I had never used it, set it up with a password and told the rest of my family, oh, by the way, while I work on this, <laughs> oh, right. you can log on to this and you know, everything's fine. And then yep. that also allowed me to easily uh, look for, you know, troubleshooting techniques online, um, you know, not, not on my phone, but on my computer. Right. So, you know, I had so many 
backup and contingency plans. And it's only now that we're talking about this that I realized that none of this was stuff that I thought, well, what do I do? Let me think. No, this was all pre-thought stuff. Yep. Yeah. I think part of it though, to be fair, is is the nature of what you and I do, right? Because I've got yeah. the same thought process going on. I we both we rely on our internet. And that means that be it consciously or even unconsciously, we have that. Well, what happens if my internet breaks as part of our scenario, you know, planning. Oh, sure. Um, and I've got the same kinds of things you do, right? I mean, if my ubiquity system were to die, well, yep, I'd go back to my Comcast router and um, turn it uh, turn it back into, right now it's in pass-through mode, so it's basically an expensive thing yeah. that does nothing. But I'd turn that off and have its Wi-Fi access points turned back on and I'd be back in business. Um, but I've also got like my jetpack from my mobile company, you know, my mobile provider, uh, which we actually have done when we had um, literal ISP issues that were preventing us from connecting to the internet. Well, you just break out the jetpack and you know, my wife's mm-hmm. uh, laptop and my laptop and boom, we're both in business for at least whatever that can be. Right. But like I said, these are the kinds of things that you and I think about because it's key to what we do. I don't know necessarily that um, the average consumer is going to think about this kind of stuff or necessarily have that plan, right? Right, and, and internet may not be as important to them, you right. know, as it is to us. I mean, I do know how if my garage door uh, fails to open, I know how to manually engage it. If my um, the door lock, which is a not an Internet of Things door lock, but it is an electronic door lock, mm-hmm. if that fails, I know how to deal with that. Um, you know, there. I think uh, people have a lot of you know. You think of these contingency plans of what to do in various situations. Uh, if something fails, right. you know, if you, what do you, what do you do if, uh, I don't know, it, it could be even mundane things. What do you do if the refrigerator fails? What do you do? You know, when I was growing up, a big thing was, what do you do if the water main breaks? You don't hear about water mains breaking that often anymore, no. but it was a big thing growing up. Water main breaks. Who's the, whose job is it to go up and, uh, uh run the water into the bathtub and fill it. So you have all this drinking water that you could boil. Right. It sounds silly. I don't know if that was a thing where you grew up, but where I grew only, up, that was only like in a, a thing. sense in a different sense, right? A water main break here. The, the scenario we planned for yeah. is the earthquake. Oh yeah. Right? We didn't Cause the earthquake ability. of the things that are going to get taken out by the earthquake, things like water mains and gas lines and electricity, um, and internet for that matter, um, are all the kinds of things that are at least at risk. Um, so yes, filling the bathtub, if you've got it, or, or realizing that you've got a hot water heater that's full of water that you know you can use for other things in other ways. There's a, mm-hmm. um, you know, a drain you may want to filter the water through or whatever. But the point is that you think about these things as being alternatives in the case, in those kinds of cases. So yeah, I think everybody right. should understand how to uh, reboot their router. And everybody mm-hmm. should understand how to reset their router to factory settings. That yep. will get the average consumer through 90% of the problems that, that might be related to what's on site. Yes, exactly. And I should add that, unfortunately, for you and me, it's difficult to teach people these things because there are so many different routers. Every router is different. Everyone's different. Every company, you know, uh, there's special branded versions. So I often get asked, it's like, how do I how do I do this? You mentioned that you do this with your system at home. How do I do it with mine? It's like, I can't tell you. Right. Uh, unless you happen to have exactly the same internet service provider and exactly the same modem as me, um, I you're going to have to, you're on your own. I can't tell you how to do it. And that's unfortunate because it doesn't 
it's not good for people to not know how to do these things. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> this has been an interesting trip from, yes, we, beds, from beds to rebooting to routers. <laughs> rebooting routers. Uh, yes. So uh, we should uh, look at what's cool. What's cool? What's been cool in your, wor- your so world this week? Last week, um, we stumbled. First of all, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Have you watched, were you ever a fan of Xena Warrior Princess? I definitely was. Excellent. Yes. So um, there was an ad on TV a couple of weeks ago that Lucy Lawless, mm-hmm. Xena, was sto- uh, starring in some kind of um, Aussie crime show. And that's not that big a deal. I didn't realize it existed, but that's kind of cool. And that they were started filming the second season of that. And one of her guest stars for that first season, first episode was going to be Renee O'Connor. Oh, Gabrielle. Yes. So this is like the first time that they've worked together since Xena. Um, Renee O'Connor actually hasn't been that active in, in um, TV right. and movies, but she's done a few things. Uh, and this is, this is just sort of kind of fun. So, I realized that, okay, that should be interesting when it comes out. I look for, I would watch that in a heartbeat, Mm. but then uh, we started to find that series of which the first season is out and it's available. um, It's on the acorn subscription, the streaming service, Mm. which gets you a lot of the um, UK and Aussie uh, series. We started watching that. We're about halfway through it. And honestly, it's uh, we're having a lot of fun. They have a, a just a touch of humor. Um, she's a uh, Lucy is a retired policeman. There's a backstory they're slowly hinting at and and um, um, evolving, but uh, she keeps getting called in for um, murder investigations, and because she's really good at that. And of course, she you know every episode she solves another murder. Um, it's definitely not murder she wrote, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really it's 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 Lucy being Lucy. She's she's got a certain kind of personality in a lot of the shows that we've seen her in and like her like her in. Yeah. So she's having a lot of fun with it. There's enough humor. Anyway, it's called uh, My Life is Murder. It's on Acorn TV, and like I said, we're about halfway through the first season and enjoying it. Yep, she was also a main character in the uh, Evil Dead. TV series, which we, I didn't enjoy as much. I ended up not watching that through to completion, even with her in there. Okay. I mean, it it did have its, I enjoyed it at the beginning. I kind of felt like I maybe wasn't enjoying it so much. And then all of a sudden I was enjoying it again. And I watched it till the end. So I don't know, maybe there was a lull in there, but uh, yeah. So uh, speaking of series though, um, a series I know we both enjoyed is back after a, uh, 10 year hiatus <laughs> called oh, leverage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So leverage was a show you could, I'm sure you could stream all of the uh, old episodes, I believe on Amazon prime, I believe so uh, prime TV. Uh, and uh, it's a great show. Uh, basically a bunch of, a bunch of bad guys turn good guys and use their, their skills uh, because um, you know, it's an old trope. The bad guys realize that other bad guys are the people with the money go after them. And then uh, you can uh, kind of redeem yourself in a way uh, by only going after bad people. Uh, very funny, really good uh, storylines in a lot of the episodes. Also really appreciated uh, since there's a lot of con man kind of action going on in there. Uh, they took a lot of time to explain how various cons and things uh, go down. 
And I love shows that kind of expose that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, while entertaining you. And then you learn about how this con works and maybe you're not, uh, you know, you're a little better educated about that kind of thing. Anyway, great show. Um, and after I don't, eight, 10 years or something like that it is back. Uh, the lead, the show lead, Timothy Hutton is not there. It was not the moment. He's got some things going on in his personal life that kept him from the show or kept the show from him yep. uh but the rest of the cast is there at least uh at the beginning uh there's uh, one uh actor in there that uh is probably more popular than all the rest right now so a little more in demand so they kind of have him in there sometimes and then they kind of have a replacement for his part um for the rest of the time and usually you know when they replace uh a character in a show like that you know bring in the the sub there mm -hmm. um you're like uh but in this case I love this new character. Yeah, yeah, it's Both, actually my wife good. and I are like she's like our, she. I love her. She fits right in, yeah. and it's like we thought it was it was going to be a minus having, you know, a, a new character in there. But in fact, it's a plus. We're really enjoying her, and uh, and it's so. There's eight episodes now. It's actually it's on Prime, but it's actually a subsidiary of Prime. It's Internet Movie Database IMDb TV, which. It's confusing because it's like, why is this show under IMDb TV? Some other things appearing under IMDb TV seem to make more sense, um, but you know they're more like involving movies and stuff. I don't know why this is branded as that, but the bottom line is you can watch it on Amazon Prime, and it just has that brand on it. I, eight episodes now, eight episodes coming later for this this new season of the show. So there were. Um... Uh, see, two things I'm going to mention. One is uh, IMDb TV. I believe I could be wrong, yeah. but can't you watch IMDb TV with commercials if you're not a Prime subscriber? Yeah, I, but I, I think you watch it with commercials. With commercials, if, even if you are. If, yeah. yeah, I think it's. Yeah. I think their whole thing is always free. Um, so in other words, there is no. You know, you can watch it without Prime TV, but either way, you're going to get commercials in it. Yeah. Commercials weren't horrible definitely less than half of the commercials you would normally get in a regular show. Of course, that just might be due to inventory, right? A lot of times we get lucky. Possibly. Now, the, only, the thing that's annoying about most of the commercials are at least you can skip them to begin yeah. with. Um, but it's the same ones over and over and over again. You get it's, so tired of them. Um, the, the other thing I was going to, we were talking about, I think we were talking about before we started recording was location. Um, yes. Leverage was quite notably uh, filmed in and around Portland, Oregon. Well, not all. It was actually, it changed locations. So it's filmed in Boston for a season or two and then moved to That's Portland. That's right. They moved to Portland. Yes. And now in this new season, they've moved again. They moved to New Orleans, which is funny because, of course, I watched the episodes, binge them just before going to New Orleans for the first time in my life. Nice. So, you know, it was interesting to see New Orleans uh, like that. And my wife actually pointed out that she had read somewhere uh, that New Orleans did have a program for courting uh, television and, and movie studios. Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So probably it's one of these things, you know, a city goes and says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to throw some money at this and give some incentives and try to give a boost to uh, employment in that industry here. And that's probably what happens when a show like this says, and, and they're very open about it. Other shows sometimes don't even mention where they're filmed right. or they say they're in this one city, even though they're filming in another city. And they all look suspiciously like, um, uh, like Southwestern British Columbia. Right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of sci-fi shows end up. A lot of, lot there. Of, yeah. <laughs> but in this case, uh, uh, just like they did with both Boston and Portland, 
um, leverage in this season makes a big deal out of, you know, they, they actually move to New Orleans. Oh, this is, you know, this is where their first job at the beginning of the season is. And, oh, hey, we're going to stay here. We're going to buy this, this, uh, this cool little, uh, you know, bar here and right. that's going to be our headquarters and everything involves new orleans and so i have a question for you did you by yeah. any chance watch any of ncis new orleans no i have oh, never seen bummer. any ncis anything okay um we watched some of it it lost us for a while but uh i'm fairly convinced so the ncis new orleans ended its run earlier this year mm-hmm. I'm fairly convinced that some of the sets we're seeing in lever- in Leverage Redemption ah. are sets that were used in NCIS New Orleans. Um, it's just a feeling, some because of, of course they dress the sets differently, but um, it just seems so very familiar uh, in some places that I have I just can't help but wonder. Well, after the original uh, series of Leverage uh, was over, um, the showrunners created uh, made a show called The Librarian. Yes. And it has a very similar feel to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, I mean, so it, it's not a stretch to go and say they probably reused a lot, not only of maybe some of the sets and other locations, but I mean, if you have some of the same creative people behind, you know, behind mm-hmm. the camera, behind creating the sets and the, you know, the costumes and all of that, you're naturally going to come up with a very similar feeling. I mean, you get that a lot when you watch, you know, you watch sci-fi network shows and things right. like Supernatural. And right. There's a lot of shows. And then you start to be like, this feels very similar. Oh, late. I check an internet movie database and it's like, all these names are the same. Yeah. You know, this, there's this producer. And then there also some of the episodes are directed. And one of the script writers is this person. And it's like, yeah, you know, they probably are shooting in the same exact studios. The, um, the interesting thing about the librarians, which we also watched and enjoyed, yeah. um, is it's another Portland show. Uh, yeah. So when when Leverage was in Portland, they, they finished their original run in Portland. Then everybody just switched over to to the librarians. The interesting thing about Leverage Redemption is that it stars one of the librarians' right. main, main actors as well. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because obviously they were all related in a sense. Um, so it was good to see everybody come together. Yeah, anyway. I see a lot of that and I like it. I like, yep. I, I don't know. It gives you this good feeling about the show. I mean, if people you hear about it, you know, in Hollywood, people disliking each other, hating each other, but it's like, well, if they're working together again, yes, it, you know, it's probably because they enjoy working together and yep. that makes the show that much better. You can tell when, it, whether it's a musician or whether it's a, a, an author or a people making TV shows or movies. Um, if you're enjoying your work, I think it improves the quality. So onward, in yes. terms of uh, blatant, absolutely blatant self-promotion, the closest thing you'll find to an ad on this on this show, um, I would like to point people at how long will Windows 10 be supported? Um, there's a fair amount of discussion, fair amount of controversy, some upset people, um, but at least there's a fairly clear answer uh, mm. today. Okay. Cool. And I'm just going to, you know, I've been still going with that whole uh, security course. I mean, it's mm-hmm. 20 episodes long. So we're still, uh, we're at the tail end of that. So just include a link there. Uh, and I think the last, I think Thursday is the last episode in that. Then I'll be back to my regular variety of episodes every day. The Gary Variety Show. Yeah. All righty. The show notes for this week are over at tehpodcast.com slash teh140. 
If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. Or, of course, you are more than welcome to leave a comment on the show notes page. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about us. Thank you for sharing, liking, subscribing, all those things you're supposed to do with social media and podcasts. And we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye.